Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one of the Haunted Historian podcast. My name is Connor Gossel, your host and the creator of the Haunted Historian brand. I'm sure a lot of you came over from the brand's social media presence, primarily on Instagram. And if you have, then you no doubt understand what the Haunted Historian is all about. But for those tuning in for the first time, the Haunted Historian is a global paranormal entity that documents the stories and hauntings behind some of the most off-limits and paranormal destinations throughout the United States and in various corners of the world. And to help make all of that possible, we have our producer here with us, Mr. Josh Hughes, who has years of experience in the field as well. Josh, if you want to introduce yourself. I've been a researcher and a paranormal investigator since college, where I met some very unique individuals that kind of started this wave of uh, paranormal TV shows and personalities. And that's how I kind of ran into Connor here when I slipped into the DMs of The Haunted Historian about a year and a half back. (laughs) (laughs) Now here we are, episode one of the podcast. This podcast has been in the works for a while now, as we've been devoting a lot of time to finding the right location to feature it off with. And what we've stumbled upon is a case that is unique, not only to the haunted historian, but to the entire paranormal field. A story that is incredibly terrifying and one of the most harrowing accounts that we have to share with the audience. Having said so, here is the new Albany exorcism. I met Alex Meering my junior year at Ohio State University. I hadn't been doing investigations for years, honestly, since leaving my friends back in Beaver Creek, Ohio. And he, being the founder of what was called Dark Alley Paranormal, was kind enough to take me under his wing and start showing me around a lot of the local haunts in the Columbus area. We traveled all around northeastern southern Ohio, venturing out into Michigan, Indiana, Pennsylvania, and a lot of neighboring states. After I made the decision a couple years into knowing each other to move out to Phoenix, Arizona, I got a call from him uh, about a year of being out in the desert, asking me if I'd be willing to come back out to Ohio for a unique investigation that he had going on. Typically, I wouldn't care to spend airfare and luggage costs and travel time getting all the way back out to Ohio, even to meet up with a friend and do a great hunt. But what he told me surrounding this investigation really changed my opinion on that. Evidently, since I'd left, he'd been working with a family just north of Columbus. The family was very wealthy. They didn't look like anybody you would have expected to be experiencing anything peculiar in their home. The husband was a vice president of a bank. The wife owned her own company. They lived in a very well-to-do neighborhood. And evidently, Alex had been visiting them for about a year and a half now, ever since the father originally reached out to him, saying that they were experiencing strange stuff in their house, that he did a general search online, found Dark Alley Paranormal, and wanted Alex to come out and help his family. Now, what was what was some of the uh, weird things they were experiencing 
Alex was told nothing about what was happening inside of this home. He always told me how odd the entire experience of meeting them was. He actually pulled up and parked right outside their house. He wasn't even halfway up their driveway before the three daughters uh, and the husband and wife were walking out of the garage door and all getting into their car. The husband walked up to Alex, handed him the keys and said, we're going to go to see um, a movie and get some dinner. We'll be back in a few hours. And he said, you know, at some places he's been, that might not be an odd experience. You know, there are a lot of hauntings that take place in strange areas and not very prominent homes. But this house was upwards of half a million dollars. Very nice area. And the fact that a man would just hand him the keys and then walk away was perplexing to him. He didn't even stop to tell Alex what was happening to his family. With no notion of what was gonna happen in there, he and a partner he had brought walked into a very large family room in a very beautiful home. They set their um, equipment on the table, everything typical of most ghost hunters, REM pods, ghost box, uh, thermal cameras, EVPs, EMF devices. And I think in total, from what I was told, they were inside of the house for 15 minutes before they walked out, left the keys under the mat and left the home for what they thought would be for good. Apparently, while setting up their tools, they hear this little girl laughing at them as though she was sitting right on the staircase. <laughs> and they look over there, both of them in unison, then look back at each other, kind of perplexed at what just happened. And they say, on the count of three, please tell me what you just heard. And they do so, and at the very end, they're like, a little girl. They're a little girl on stairs. And they're like, you heard it too? And no sooner do they say this than they hear her laughing again and footsteps going up the stairs towards the landing above. They both packed up their stuff and they walked out of the home and they left immediately. I don't know for what reason, they kind of just landed on the holy grail of paranormal uh, experiences, but they didn't want to stick around because they didn't know what, what was going on. And if it was something scary enough to be forcing this family from the home, then they were sure that it might be something a little darker than a little girl laughing. Right. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we can go places for eight to 10 hours and get absolutely nothing. And they're there for 15 minutes. They have something very intelligent already in act acting with them. Oh yeah, I mean, the pace at which they were experiencing activity just 15 minutes in, investigation hadn't even started. I mean, it doesn't bode well for all the lights going off. Let's go down into the basement here to see what happens over the span of a few hours. I mean. They came in thinking it was dark by uh, the tone of the husband's voice. Mm -hmm. So when things like that started happening, they were like, okay, this might, we might need like a full team. Because truly they were there vetting the property. They wanted to see is what this guy is so worked up about. Is it substantiated? Is there anything to say that it's true? Mm -hmm. And so they went there like, if we can get a good EVP, maybe we can bring in the full team, all of our, you know, all of our devices, all of our tools. And they walked in there and don't even need tools. They can hear things laughing and running around. I think they immediately figured out no vetting necessary, no three hour tour necessary. We need a lot of help with this. Right. And it was really only after having that experience and of course relaying what they heard inside the home to the family, well, to the husband and wife when they returned who were trying very hard, they said, to keep whatever was happening in there away from their kids. But it's only when bringing this all up that um, the, the husband really opened up about what they'd been experiencing.
every individual inside the home was seeing a different apparition. All three kids had their bedrooms right upstairs, right next to each other. And what got weird is the different things that people were seeing. All the kids at different points in time had reported that they'd walked by the room that was adjacent to all of theirs because all of theirs were on the same side of the room. And right in the center of it all was a room that led into a guest room where family or friends would stay when they came over. And the kids all had their own unique accounts of walking by this bedroom and they see an old lady standing in there right at the top corner of the bed. And as soon as they see her, she drops down. And as they said, literally crab crawls under the bed. Oh my God. We didn't think that they were lying or anything like that, but it was a lot more heavily substantiated when um, we actually spoke to the wife about her mother, who would apparently come every other week from Southern Michigan and stay with them to be with the young grandkids. She hasn't visited them apparently at this point in time for over a year because she too walked into the room, saw a creepy old lady in there, drop down to all fours and crawl under the bed and show I mean, family was real important to her, but whatever she saw inside of that room, you know, it must have been pretty darn real for her to just abandon her family like that. But essentially, I was called about by Alex that day, trying to get me to come back out to Ohio to help out with this, as he's kind of telling me all this intro to his relationship with the family. Apparently, there had been numerous exorcisms at this property, all at the hands of this new family that has been living there now for about six years when they brought the first one in. The house itself is in a pretty new development, so it doesn't have a sordid history. It doesn't have anything dark or mysterious like that. This is a relatively new home, probably built in the early 2000s, that they moved into six, seven years back a number of years into doing into living there, two or three, I believe it was, they started experiencing some very peculiar things. And there's no like weird information about the pro like this used to be like a, a farm field and there may be like graves underneath the house. There's nothing weird like that. Well, the surrounding area of New Albany is very similar to Beaver Creek where I grew up. It's a bunch of forests, a bunch of rivers, a bunch of hiking trails. So all the development that has really spurred in Columbus the past decade, which is a very significant amount, um, it's, it's safe to say that these newer developments very likely kind of traversed over very forested, very historic lands, especially out there in central Ohio. It is a hive for Indian burial grounds. And though there's no evidence to say so, you know, if, if ever you were going to build your house and break ground at a place where an Indian body would be, it's central Ohio. Right. Yeah, I know much like uh, Wisconsin, there's, there's burial mounds all over the place. Um, and certainly time for time, those things can happen where you dig up something that doesn't want to be dug up, right? Exactly, exactly. And I, um, you know, in bringing the team in there that night, there was a lot to suggest that that may have been something that occurred. In fact, it's almost downright proven from what the clairvoyant was able to tell us, you know, uh, she and she knew no history coming into uh, into this location. What really kind of pushed beyond my attention and got my involvement 
was when I was actually able to connect with the family. And this family was so desperate that they actually sent me photos and hospital records. Photos showing both the wife and their middle daughter, who's about eight years old at this time, bruises all over their body, arms, back, shoulders, neck. I mean, it's, you look at it and your first instinct is, what could have done that? A human can't really do that. But of course, you know, as uh, investigators who sometimes encounter such violent activity in the home, be it human or otherwise, you have that part of you that gets worried, like, you know, is this a something human? Is this kind of a domestic abuse situation? Is this even investigating for us? Mm -hmm. Like, but then they actually sent over hospital records. They had taken the wife and the daughter to the hospital on numerous occasions. And there were such varying reports as to what was happening. Like, oh, the, the wife and the daughter, they have an iron deficiency. It's starting to show up in some bruises or, you know, this or that. But essentially each time saying in one way, shape or form, like, we're not 100% sure what's causing this. You know, similar to how anybody else would see the bruising all over their body. This doesn't look human inflicted. And we're trying to figure out today, like, like, and there's like no internal damage, there's no scarring, right. there's no signs of anything else. It's like these just appeared on them. And I was very concerned because, you know, in addition to that, the husband was telling me how they wake up a lot of the times and that same daughter is standing at the foot of their bed, hair over her face, like Samora from The Ring. And it just scares the heck out of them. They yell and they scream for her to wake up. And the only thing that's ever been able to work to get her out of this weird trance is throwing holy water, which they've taken to keeping on their bedside table on the girl who then wakes up screaming and crying. And it's just the things that they've been experiencing, I got concerned. You know, right, I haven't right. been involved in this kind of stuff before. But he asked me, Alex, that is, we're doing an, a, another exorcism on their home. And it's like, we are kind of not in over our heads, but out of answers for what to do, because we've done it numerous times. Is there anybody you know who you could bring out here and help out with this to at the very least give some clarity to the family on what's going on? And I, I was in, you know, as an investigator, you're usually trying to find the best evidence you can to prove the theory of all this. But when that theory is about to take over a family, you very quickly drop everything and get out there. I mm -hmm. assembled a team from uh, here in Arizona, some people from Texas, uh, some people who were in Southern Ohio at the time, people that I've worked with in the past, and um, as well as a clairvoyant coming in from Texas, who were really gonna help out this family. And what followed from there was truly the most incredibly active, eye-opening, faith-instilling evening ever. It was horrifying but it, cha it changed how I conduct investigations going forward for the years that have gone on since. When myself, Alex Myring, a close friend, Blake Kendig from Southern Ohio, and the clairvoyant, who we'll be referring to as Jane for this episode, stepped foot into the house for the first time, she immediately made a beeline right around the corner of the garage towards the basement. Our camera's already rolling and all of us 
already under the understanding that she will be leading the way in there to see what she can feel for this family. We all just followed in suit. We, came, we, we went down the stairs with her. We stood in the pitch black in the basement with her and just listened. And about two or three minutes in, she starts mumbling to herself. She's looking over in a small alcove of the basement and just whispering. The alcove was a small jutting out area inside of the basement. You walk down to what was one giant rectangular cement room and off to your left, there is just this 15 foot by maybe six foot wide little alcove that you could walk down. The family had been using it for storage. It was dark, it was non-suspect, and all of us ignored it when we went down there. Everybody except for Jane, who almost immediately walked up to its opening and stood there talking. And it's odd, and I come up behind her and I ask if she's okay. She says she is. She's just having a conversation right now. She continues this for about five or six minutes and then finally turns around to the owners and says, this shouldn't be here. They both look at her in kind of a confused look as if, what do you mean by this? She points back and gestures towards the entire alcove of the basement and says, all of this, this portion is a mistake. And the owners tell her that, yes, actually, as a matter of fact, when this house was built, evidently the blueprints were, there, there's an issue with them. They ended up digging out a portion for the basement that was not included in the original plans, and it ended up being extra square footage for the home when it was completed. And she looks back towards the small little alcove in the basement and says, that's where they found her. And we all obviously hear what she says or very stunned like that's where they found who she stands there in silence for a good 25 30 seconds before just turning around to us like something out of a horror movie and says that's where they found agatha and no sooner does she say this than a giant card table in the middle of the of the basement down there which the owners kept a lot of their work on. She owned um, a figurine company and she kept a lot of her work on these tables. They were very sturdy. They were very, very well stationed. You couldn't flip them. But it's like somebody said this entity's name for the first time in so long. And the second that Jane did so, the table just flips. And our cameraman, who, mind you, at this time is one of the biggest skeptics I, I've ever seen, which makes him all the more fun to work with, has his mouth agape. He backs up from where he's standing and actually records this table being thrown over. And no sooner does that happen, Jane runs over to the stairs, because right as she gets to the bottom of them, she yells, Agatha, again. As she's doing so, you can hear footsteps that belong to none of us, running up the stairs and heading back for the first floor living room. She follows after the spirit. She follows after this sound running up the stairs and all of us are in very close pursuit behind her. She gets up into the living room and she stands there then staring at a mirror, this old mirror that they had just sitting over their TV in the living room, looking into the kitchen. 
And she walks over there, turns back around to us and says, she's gone. But that's where she's been hiding. And she points at the mirror and the owners kind of look at us baffled. Like we've had this mirror in our family for a long time. Like, what do you mean she's hiding in there? And she says that whatever was unearthed in that basement when this house was first made, it was something that had been there for close to 150 years. She said it was a small 16 year old girl named Agatha who had been murdered and buried under the earth there. And that since being dug up, her spirit's been hiding inside of this mirror. It's then that all of us go to our cases, we break out the REM pods, we break out the EVPs, we break out the grid lights and everything that we brought with us and we get ready to try and see if we can't get Agatha to communicate with us. So like, what is like the general feeling amongst the crew right now? You know, something pretty significant just happened. You know, maybe something that many people in their entire paranormal careers might not even experience. You know, it, it had to have been very electric in that room at this moment. It, no, you're, you're absolutely right. People were feeling a lot of different emotions. I'm sure the owners hearing that name yelled out and the activity that corresponded with it, they might have felt relief. They might have felt joy like other people are seeing this. Somebody's putting a name to it. It was almost excitement and relief with them. They weren't talking, they were staying behind us all, but watching eagerly at all this happening. For myself and Alex and Blake, it was absolutely electrifying. We were ecstatic. But to have all this activity uh, corresponding step by step after provocation of very little means to make it happen, we might actually be able to help a family. And then of course, for the, the camera people that were there, they were baffled, they were taken aback. You could tell that they were kind of just going through the motions, but their eyes were darting left and right. They're just thinking, you know, oh my God, something's actually happening. How are we gonna right. deal with this? Right, and, and I guess, you know, personally, when I'm behind the camera on an investigation, it's almost kind of like my protective cloak. It like normally when I don't have a camera, I will be kind of on edge. But when I'm behind the lens, it's almost like I'm guarded from the things that could possibly attack me. Have these cameramen ever been on an investigation before or exposed to something of this level? They have never encountered anything of this sort. To be completely honest with you, the camera people that were with us, they were with us because they had actually heard this story. They actually had connections in Hollywood, believe it or not, and they wanted to send out a film crew to interview this family and see what was happening in their room because they actually wanted to consider making it into a movie if, and if it was all substantiated. Interacting with Agatha was absolutely phenomenal. I, I was very curious as to where she was because Jane was just following her eyes, tracing around the room as though she was just following the path of something that the rest of us couldn't see. And I asked her, are you watching Agatha right now? She's like, yeah, she came back out of the mirror and she's standing right behind Alex. We take out a REM pod, we put it over by where Alex is uh, standing, which is right by the entrance to the kitchen. And the kitchen has a wraparound bar that he's standing by that kind of leads into the living room. So we put the REM pod right on top of the kitchen counter. Alex backs away from this. I ask her, is Agatha still standing there? She says, yeah, she's in the same spot. So we start our questions. We ask, is your name Agatha? 
and nothing lights up. We wait a bit. We ask, are you a 16 year old girl? And it just lights up. That REM pod lights up immediately. And so we, we kind of want to play around. We ask, you know, are you a 25 year old girl? Nothing comes on. Like, are you a 10 year old girl? Nothing comes on. We ask again. So you are 16 years old and it lights up again. Like, yes, that is my age. Hmm. And we start asking all these different questions as, as to, you know, were you downstairs? Do you know the owners? Have you been behind some of this activity? And it goes on and off for some of them. It says it's been behind some of the activity. It says it lights up when we ask if it knows the owners. We, it uh, does not light up when we ask if we can see her. But then she goes silent. She doesn't talk for a good 15 minutes of us just sitting there asking questions and talking amongst ourselves. And I started getting so pissed by this because she was giving us such great results and then delved into nothing that I finally just stand up off the couch that I was uh, sitting at to talk into the um, REM pod across the room. And I just say, you know what? It's playing with us. We're all thinking it. This is not some 16 year old girl. There's something dark in here and it does not want to talk with us. The only thing that whatever's in here wants is this family. And the second I say that, the REM pod lights up. Like I've never seen a REM pod light up before. You see it in YouTube videos, you see it in TV shows, in your own personal mm -hmm. use of it, it'll light up for like two or three seconds. This held a continual buzz for, and I'm not messing with you, about four or five minutes. It just stayed on after not talking to us just to confirm, you're right, I don't care about you guys. I just want this family. Yeah, I know uh, from personal experience that whenever I get a little upfront with entities that uh, they don't particularly like that and they let you know it. Well, this one definitely <laughs> let us know it, right. but it really kind of opened up what happened next. Obviously, we'd enter the home thinking there was something dark in here. We had two priests with us from the Catholic diocese in the area, and they were prepared, as their team had done in the past, to help out with a third exorcism there. But now there's beyond just doing the motions, they actually can see something's here and it is confirming almost in spite of their presence that, yeah, I want this family and you're not going to stop me from getting it. So we immediately start yelling, all right, let's start the recitation of this. The priests had brought this pamphlet with them in addition to their Bibles, rosaries, and all this stuff of something that they had planned to begin speaking out into the house. It was a small three-sentence statement, and they just said it over and over and over. And the succession of activity that followed from each time they said it was startling to watch. As soon as we got that REM pod to stop and we had that verification it was bad, I turned to them and I said, start the recitation. They say it one time, and you hear what sounds like a man and a woman talking in the kitchen. They say it again, and you hear what sounds like footsteps coming across the tiled floor towards the base of the stairs where Alex is now standing. We're starting to see something react to this, and I just start yelling, say it again, say it again. They say it again, and Alex like, falls back onto the steps in like a giant just tumble, and he says, something just ran through me. And I yell, say it again. You hear footsteps going up the stairs towards the kids' room. And I just keep yelling it, say it again. 
Now you hear something directly above us in what is the children's playroom. Like it's running through there at a tirade, throwing things. And we start going up the stairs. I'm still yelling, say it again. And you hear what sounds like a table being thrown against the wall in there. We sprint into the kids' rooms, the lights stay off, and we just walk in there. We walk over to the corner where we heard the noise. And one of the kids' paint tables had been just tossed behind a tent and hit into the wall bit behind it. So we move all the debris there out of the way. We push the tent back, we push the boxes back, we push the table back. And behind it all is this crawl space that the family had never known about. This just boarded up crawl space behind all their kids' stuff. Jane walks into the room. She goes over there and she looks down at it and says, that's where it's hiding. And I asked, do you mean that's hiding out in this boarded up crawl space that looked as though it was right above the parents' bedroom? And she said, not exactly. She says, this is the portal. This is oh. a literal doorway, but it's also a doorway for whatever's in here. But okay. it's somewhere else where they can escape. Sure, yeah, no, that makes sense then. So we, we, we felt relieved, you know, as an investigator, at the crux of what we do is trying to give people hope and understanding and strengthen the hauntings that they experience and uh, the instances in which you get to actually see the fruits of that labor successfully are few and far between. They came, uh, the kids came home with uh, the wife who had been out with them. The husband stayed back with us. We filled them in on everything we'd learned, everything we'd experienced. And we tried to give them comfort in the notion that, you know, we started reciting religious text uh, with priests here and it chased it away. It ran away. It stormed away as though whatever we were saying was piercing it. And we found what seems to be a portal, both by identification of the clairvoyant we have here, as well as where all the activity led to. And they shook our hands. They thanked us. We all packed up our gear, got in our cars. And I very quickly picked up the phone to say all that to Alex in the car, how proud I was of us that we actually had an impact and helped this family. You know, I, I, I was giddy. You know, it's a very proud moment as an investigator to be able to have that impact. And right as I finish, Alex just tells me, Connor, it's already back. I'm very confused by what he's saying. And he says, I just got off the phone with the husband. Apparently, the moment we left the home and got in our cars and drove away, uh, the husband and wife put the kids to bed. They came downstairs to their to their bedroom on the first floor, and they were just going through their nightly routine, brushing their teeth, you know, washing the hands, put on any lotion or whatever anybody's routine right, is. Right. And there's an open doorway in their restroom that leads into a walk-in closet. They said they were standing in there, and while standing in there, they just hear something whistling at them. as though there's some figure in the doorway to their walk-in closet. And it's eerie as hell, because they knew what it was whistling. And it, they said that it whistled that for about 10 seconds and it stopped. And you heard footsteps walk out of the walk-in closet and stop right in front of the sinks. And that was important because how he described the footsteps were something that couldn't be human. They were so 
big, he actually thought these studs were about to crack the tile floor in the restroom. And it sounded as though it was something that was towering over them, ducking its head almost to be inside of this restroom with them. And then it turned around, they heard the footsteps run out and run up the stairs towards the kids' rooms, but they heard it stop right above them in the kids' playroom. Literally sounds like a movie right now. <laughs> it sounds like, you know, like you guys, oh, we, we did the job, we left the house. You know, it, you, you felt like you were accomplishing something. And then it sounds like your presence and the things that you did may have muted it temporarily, but it, it came back almost like it does in the movie. It came back tenfold and made its presence extremely known. Oh, yeah, this was... This was the classic horror movie ending in our modern age. No, no happy endings exist in horror movies anymore. And this definitely right. felt like that. We've, we, we, we have since tried to help the family more. We sent other teams out there. Uh, Jane was kind enough, you know, having traveled from Texas to stay in Ohio for an extra week to train the family in how to mentally, physically, and spiritually combat what was inside their home. But it, yeah, in so many ways, we felt like we did make it worse. On one hand, there was some story to go behind what was happening inside of there now, that it might not be a demon, it might just be a very vengeful 16-year-old girl. Right. We, we don't know. But at the same time, it's one of those situations where not knowing is more comforting than knowing. Because before, they could just chalk it up to some nameless sightless entity that they saw sometimes now right. there's very much an understanding behind the ancient force that is here and that they're not going to get rid of it very easily and it might be an ongoing battle for so long as they stay inside that home to simply keep what's there at bay do you think it was something more dark that was pulling the strings here? Well, that gets into um, an interesting uh, theory that we have there because it's how the evening ended right before we left was Jane informing everybody of a very real situation that their property alone was kind of engulfed in. Mm -hmm. When she walked in the backyard, she said that it was one of the few instances that she'd seen a three-way highway connecting in a home. And what she meant by this is that surrounding their house on all sides but the street were these separate portals that she could see that were just feeding in to the center of their home. It wasn't crossing the neighbor's yard or anything. It was a perfect epicenter on their property. And so she was telling them what makes it so difficult is that she's watching as different entities are walking out of these portals and going into the home and walking out of the home. The reason it took her to the very end to tell us this was because she was trying to decipher what spirits inside the home had been there the whole time. Agatha seems to have been there for a while. She says that there's a Native American spirit standing outside the front door. And the only reason the family is allowed to leave this home safely and go to work, go out for an evening, or possibly able to get in their car and move is because whatever's in that house knows that it can't get by the Native American spirit that leaves out the front. So nothing can attach to the family if it leaves out that way. Just as well, and 
this was startling because she had no knowledge of, of the family or anything that happened to them recently. She said the only reason the kids are as safe as they have been relatively is because I see what I'm assuming is your grandfather is standing up there by their rooms. His grandfather apparently had died three or four weeks ago. And none of us knew that. The uh, Jane certainly didn't know that, but she just points it out. Um, the husband starts crying and he didn't know if it was out of fear, like, dad, this isn't your job to do this, or if it was out of relief, like in the afterlife, his kids are being protected by his father to make sure whatever's in that home and it's not so nice, can't get to them. And then she says that right before we leave or walk out the front door, she warns them. While we gave the name Agatha to what's most prominent in your home, I get the feeling that Agatha doesn't want to be doing this and she's being made to do this. Mm. We're all really taken back by this. Like, like you know, is some curse making her do it? Or what are you talking about? Like, why is she, why is she just doesn't want to do this, but she's doing it. Why is she just a, a jerk ghost or something? And she says, no, I think there's something a lot darker in this house. And I don't know where it's at exactly, but I think whatever that is, is the one that's pulling the strings. The second she said it, you really thought of, um, it was the second conjuring, how there was that old man spirit that everyone thought was haunting the home and this guy is just a jerk. Apparently he died in the living room and you get to the end of it and the Warrens find out that there's that dark demon Valak that's been using him as a puppet, making him do his bidding. The similarities that were mirrored of that situation to what we were experiencing here and what she was saying were so parallel in how they played out. Just saying, don't be fooled. There is something dark here and right. it's only going to show itself when it wants to hurt you. Anytime that you try to get me, that's what Agatha's here for. You know, if Agatha did pass away in a very violent manner or something that was very sudden, maybe that dark moments, that dark energy could have then been attracted to her, her spirit, her body. And when it was unearthed or disrupted, maybe that kind of awoke this thing. And, and when the family moved in, boom, it's, you know, it's, it's attaching itself to them. And 100%. Crazy. Something to keep in mind that um, I may not have mentioned, that Jane was saying that when she saw this girl, she didn't look like it, but she could see what happened to her. And she couldn't see what event led to her body being buried there, but that she could see her skull in the ground, which of course had you know, disintegrated about years back or something of that nature, and that it was bludgeoned in the skull. Mm. So there's a strong reason to believe that, you know, she wasn't just buried here by family or upon passing away of normal causes. You know, she was brutally murdered and hidden there. But it was, it was disheartening, you know, to think that we'd done so much good and for it to just play out like that in the end. But it's an ongoing investigation. Uh, I don't know if they've had the priests back in since. Uh, we've put them in contact with a good deal of mediums, uh, additional clairvoyants, and people who are more experienced in the metaphysical side of the paranormal world. It was the first exorcism, we'll call it, that I've been a part of. The first time that I've been there with members of the church who are doing their religious incantations and chasing spirits around. So yep. as close to an exorcism as I can be without, you know, 
somebody being tied down to a bed and us throwing holy water on them. The Haunted Historian Podcast is written by Connor Gossel, produced by Josh Hughes, theme song composed by Tyler Quinn. Check out this week's show notes to see the links to the Haunted Historian Facebook and Instagram channels to see what locations we've been to recently. And tune in next week for episode two of the Haunted Historian Podcast for more untold stories of paranormal investigations inside some of the most haunted places in the world.